0: That last song, His Hands Are Holding Us, that, it's a nice song. It's really good. But if you actually believe it, your mind can get blown. If you realize that it's true, that our Heavenly Father is holding us and that nothing can separate us from His love, nothing, no thing, their heights or depths, angels, demons, Neither can the powers of hell separate us from the love of God. Oh, wait, that is revealed in Christ. I still can't get over the power of that verse where Jesus is asked, Hey, Jesus, can we see the Father? Can you just give us an open our eyes to see? Jesus says, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. We're the same. Well, that creates a whole list of questions for, well, wait a minute, what about, everything, what about everything we've read in the Scriptures in the Old Testament about who God is? Let me just suggest and boldly say they are incomplete. Some absolutely inaccurate. But they are sacred writings written by individuals who shared their story. But they're all incomplete because Jesus said nobody no one knows the Father except me. So if I want to find out what Russ is like, really like at home, you know, I, all I got to do is ask his kids. <laughs> they might even be honest. <laughs> dad yells a lot. Or he's really kind, you know, like that stuff. Well, Jesus is the one we ask. What's your dad like? Oh, he's good. So good. So much better than what you've been told. I think that's the beauty of what we're going through right now in this series on Acts. We're seeing a better picture, a more beautiful gospel of who the Father is. And now we're going to discover what Jesus did and what it looks like through us and through humanity as we read through these stories. Acts 3, he can get your attention. Oh, yeah. Listen, God can get your attention. Period. Done. You don't need to help God get somebody else's attention. My mother used to, when I was a little kid, she had these tracks. Scare the hell out of you tracks. Chick. Oh, bad word. That's a swear word here. Um, but they're terrible. Like, they're just guilt-driven, and this was your life, and... You name it. Emphasis on evil, not love. If you like those tracks, I'm really sorry. They're terrible. Um, but she would, we would go grocery shopping, and she'd slip them into people's carts. You know, uh, Kids come to the door at Halloween. They want candy, not a tract. But she threw a in, like That kind of nutso stuff, that's the church I grew up with at that time. That's what they did. It was unloving. And then I come to find a picture of grace that has blown my mind. See, that system that I was just talking about sets you up for performance-based acceptance. Be good, then God will bless you. Be bad, and that's why you're not being blessed. And that's why you're cursed. And people blame God for stuff that happens to them. And it's not quite like that. That's a, that whole paradigm needs to shift. It's the wrong comment. It's the wrong question. God holds us all together in Colossians, it says. Christ holds all things together since he is the creator. He holds every molecule. You are currently being held by God right now, being held together by Jesus. He is not absent. Absence from Jesus is an absolute impossibility. If you can't be absent from him, Then, what's holding you together that makes you a deity more powerful than God? It's simple math. It really is. Last time we ended up with this part, Uh, we ended in Acts chapter 2, we saw something profound happen. And again, the reason we're going through these stories is because, first of all, many of us never went through Sunday school, and many of us went through Sunday school 25, 35, 45 years ago, and we don't remember any of these stories. So I wanna rip through Acts and bring out the good news portions and the really cool stories that we may have forgotten about and find how it can actually apply to our lives or wake us up to a greater hope in this God we say we believe in. I want to have confidence in this Jesus. I don't want him to be a wuss. What's the point of having a tag along God and let him, you know, ask, hey, can you okay, you beat up this bully for me then? You know, and only use him for our purposes when it's about a relationship. It's about connection, not just with him, but with each other. Because the light of Christ shines through us all. So this particular story has to do with the fire of God coming with a a roaring, roaring, loud sound into the upper room with all the believers there. And it was like a pillar of fire that then split off and settled on everyone's head. I heard the other day, was it in our Friday morning group? I think it was. It was like this image of um, uh, kids when they talk about fire. Who was it? Was it Janet or was it Lorinda? Lorinda, you talk about the fire. The kids, they're afraid of fire on somebody's head. Ah, your head's on fire. Ah!" You freak out, right? But I guess all of our pictures in history have these nice little praise the Lord, prayer. I've seen it, the little, nice, little, clean fire over their heads. Woo, wonderful. I don't think that happened like that at all. I think they're freaking out. Go, holy, you got one too, me too. Why? do I, what's my look like, Sophie? You know, like, it's crazy how they can possibly be sitting there in nice little poses. Let's make these stories come alive to what it could have happened rather than what we've been told happened just to clean it up. And they were freaked out. And they began to speak. they, they, We call it tongues, but they were speaking the good news in all kinds of dialects and languages. And the noise of that wind and whatever that was, was so loud, people heard it all through the city and came rushing to see what just happened. It's like that house explosion. Everybody came looking to see what happened at that house. What was it? And they saw the damage. But here people came and they're in awe, and they hear the gospel. Good news. Remember, it's got to be good news for everybody, or it's no good news at all. They were declaring the good news to everyone in all languages that were present. Whether they spoke in their own language and it got translated to the ear of the hearer, who knows? That's kind of how I think some of the tongue stuff works. And then the church grew, and they baptized. There was 3,000 added That's a lot of people for one day. Like if Hope Fellowship had 3,000 people show up, that'd be awkward. (laughs) But it'd be mind-blowing. And about next, I think, chapter 4, there's now 5,000. Like it just... The Holy Spirit did not convene a board and a committee to set apart bylaws and guidelines for how the church should function. (laughs) It didn't happen. Ross, I got a ring up here, a base ring. I don't know if you can lose that. But they did not have this committee set up to launch departments in the church, create Sunday school, um, take up offerings. None of that happened in the early church. It took time for some of that stuff to naturally, organically develop, but not for the sake of control, which is what most churches have become. Jesus didn't come to control, He came to surrender and set us free. So we can surrender to one another. I remember Paul Young, author of The Shack, was speaking at a conference in Georgia, and he was talking, I think it was in Philippians, where it says, Wives submit to your husbands. How many of you know that one? All the women probably do. I'm not going in the bad direction. Don't worry, this is good. <laughs> Hold your rocks. Um, but what he shared blew my mind. He said the writers of Philippians, who translated into English. Remember, it was never in English. You do know that, right? The Bible's not in English. I believe every word of the Bible. Which one? The original Greek? The Aramaic? The King James? The New Living? Which one? Because they're different. So let's be honest about that. Paul... Never said wives submit to your husbands. The word "submit" does not exist in the in uh, in the Greek language. The links I've sent out to you guys uh, for the Bible study and the Greek language, the interlinear Bible. Look it up. It's for everybody to see. It's not there. Somebody, probably a guy, put it in because they're trying to fill in the blanks, make it say something because of their bent. Sorry, writers do that. It was, I like uh, Naked Pastor, if you know who he is, he has clothes on, don't worry. Um, but the Naked Pastor, that's his name on, on, online, so look him up at nakedpastor.com or something like that. He's a Canadian former pastor who writes cartoons. Oh my goodness, you guys will love him. Or you could get a little freaked out because he gets really bold. Like really bold, but one particular cartoon was uh, this lady walking with Jesus. How come there's all these texts and no 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 reference of women leading or teaching in the scripture? And Jesus points over to the bunch of men sitting around a table. Ask them. <laughs> I thought, okay, I like this. <laughs> so here's the good news of that text. The text is not supposed to say wives submit to your husbands. It says, wives, your husbands. What does that mean? Well, you have to go back up to the top. Context. Yeah, that does matter. You go back up to the top. It's referring to this. Listen, you'll love this because now it ties into what I just told you. While submitting one to another, dot, dot, dot. That's where the context is. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands submit to your Wives. There's no domination. It doesn't exist. Uh, this is what Jesus came to do. To set people free, not put into bondage. Religion will put you into bondage. Religion comes from the Latin religare, to bind up. Jesus didn't come to set up a religion. He came to set up his kingdom, a kingdom of love. That's very different told you a couple weeks ago, if Jesus showed up in person here or in in Canada, North America, he'd go, so where's the church? Because he wouldn't recognize what's here. (laughs) Although we do know the church is you and I, and he would see us, his bride. Yes, guys, you're called the bride. Deal with it. These people didn't go to church. They became the church. That's really an important lesson to remember we are the church. The location is just where we hang out. And we're We're going to see a lot of places and instances how the church met. And I think that's kind of exciting. That's why this is called the Great Awakening. I think it's the awakening. Everybody's awakening to the reality of what happened at the cross. They're awakening to the complete uh, died and raised to life. They're waking up to the internal truth that they are not aware of. It's powerful. I uh, was at a um, uh, PTSD event just recently, and one of the speakers himself had suffered, been suffering from PTSD and other what we call mental health issues, and he said something that blew my mind. One sentence. The story was great, but one sentence woke me up to another level of understanding that I, it was not possible for me to see until he said the phrase. He didn't think there was a such thing as a mental illness, He said, instead, it's mental unawareness. And I was sitting beside a psychologist, and we looked at each other and went, oh, yes. They're not aware of tendencies. They're not aware of the chemicals not working right. They're not aware. And when awareness comes, healing comes. And it's the same thing for you and I when we wake up and become aware of the presence of Christ in us or the light of Christ shining through us, whether you believe in Jesus or not, his light is shining through everything and everyone. Non-negotiable. Oh yeah, you're being held together by him too. Believers and non-believers. What's the difference between believers and non-believers? Belief. That's it. I know, it's simple. But it is that simple. The community of believers... Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the the teachings, not sermons. (laughs) This is about clear, skilled instruction. We hear more sermons here, so to speak, because of our culture. We can't, it's the way we're conditioned in North America. And fine, let's just make it and do it better if we have to live with this system right now. But they took time, they were devoted, they met in homes, and they studied. In fact, what they ended up studying, I believe, was all the Old Testament, they were not reading and studying the Old Testament to follow its rules. They were reading Old Testament scriptures to show the prophecies of Jesus and how everything had been foretold and it all pointed to Jesus coming. That's what it's about. Not about following the rules. It's Old Covenant. You're not called to obey those Old Testament rules at all. It wasn't even written to you. Great history. We can learn from it. But it's two Jewish people. How many Jews do we have here? Probably none. You know, so do you take your grandma's letter and she got, and she got an old, she, you know, some grandmas, they, they save their letters from way back when. Oh, boyfriends, you know, you read, ooh, and you, you kind of read through it. Your eyebrows go up and you say, wow, this person loves me. You can't do that. The letter's not to you, right? It's to grandma. You know, she's got this, you know, kissy thing on there. Anyway, the point is, it's not written to you, so you can't take it as yours. So this Old Testament was not written to you and I. Can we learn from it? Yes! God chose to reveal himself through those people while it was incomplete. And I believe, I believe in progressive revelation that as they walk through the different stages of history where we have Adam, he didn't know God. He thought God was really ticked and angry at him when he sinned. And so he covered up and hid himself when, Jesus came, when God came in the garden. And God said, wait, where, where are you? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? God knew exactly what they did and he was not repelled. That's really important to remember. God was not repelled. He went to them as if nothing else happened. It was them, Adam and Eve, whose minds were darkened to the reality. And that was a permanent change, and God knew that. And he had to remove them from the garden, not as a punishment, as we have been told in Sunday school. I think it was a freedom, a protection, so they could no longer eat from the tree of life, staying in perpetual darkness. Now... They moved out of there and they were able to experience life differently and the plan was already in place for Jesus to take that darkened mind, take every humanity, every person in humanity into himself, die and raise all of humanity up again, all in Adam, right? We've, we've talked about everything, everyone was in Adam, no yes, blank stares, okay. Then what's so hard about believing all in Christ? Why do we think the power of what Adam did is so much greater than what Jesus did? Hello, I'm sorry, I want a bigger Jesus than that. He almost did it, you know, at the cross. It's almost finished. No, (laughs) it's finished. Jesus accomplished it. Now we get to declare the reconciliation that it was a result of the cross. And now we ask people, believe. Believe in this Jesus the real Jesus, the good Jesus, the one who really represents the Father. Not the religion, Jesus. Maybe you need to deconstruct your religion down to Jesus only. Maybe some of you need to do that. Unlearn all the systems of rules and power and control. And it can be painful and very scary. I'm going through a course right now on deconstruction and reconstruction and I'm finding it extremely helpful. I love it. Uh, That's another sermon. But anyway, this church, they didn't have previous Sunday school lessons. They heard the truth from then on. It was brand new. It was a launch. The church was birthed. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. Communion, common union, celebrating our oneness, celebrating what Jesus instructed, do this in remembrance of me. The bread of life, when we eat it, Christ in you. Jesus is the bread, goes in, Christ in. The symbolism, powerful. Celebrating the new covenant, the wine, representing the blood. Freedom, new covenant, wake up. That must be really hard for those Jews to have to be questioned that their faith of what they their whole lives into with all the sacrifices and all, that was a sham. Oh my goodness. Uh, You can see why it would be hard, right? Ingrained for centuries and centuries. Yeah, but they came together and they prayed regularly. Not because they had to. Not in order to be a good Christian. (laughs) Not at all. They wanted to. They met naturally as they wanted to with different people. You can't meet with everybody, but... Whoever you're drawn to, meet with those. It's very powerful. Then, this I love this part. Verse 43. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. Whew. Holy awe. Some of us would say, holy smokes. <laughs> but that's, that's what it was like. A holy awe swept over one, everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So, uh, th- uh, the Aramaic translation, uh, the, the Bible, it it says it, it, the wonders happened in Jerusalem, where the Greek Bible does not say that. Don't just trust one source, people. Don't just trust one English translation. Very bad. It's beautiful. This happened in Jerusalem. Many miracles, miraculous signs, stuff they just couldn't do on their own. It was amazing. But the awe part. Have you ever wondered where your awe went? Did you ever have a moment, maybe you didn't, but some have, that that, I can't believe Jesus really loves me and really already forgave me. Are you kidding? And just kind of, wow. And just this internal tractor beam towards love. Do you remember that at all? Where is it? sometimes our little lists and rules have prevented us from experiencing that again. It's time to unpack, take some of those false things out. And by the way, if Adam was like that, Adam and Eve, they saw God that way, Abraham, again, progressive, he didn't have the full picture of God, but he thought killing his kid was just fine. You know? Some parents really want to sacrifice their kid. They're happy to do it, but no, no. <laughs> this, is, this is about Abraham realizing uh, that the world he was in, the God of Molech, they, they had worship uh, a God that took a, a kid sacrifice all the time. So Abraham needed to know he was accepted. Abraham needed to realize God does not want sacrifice. How many times through the Old Testament do we see God does not want your sacrifice? And yet the whole system's about sacrifice. Animals. And here God is saying, you can't handle the whole truth right now, so I'm gonna say, I'm gonna correct that part. Takes out the lie puts in a better picture into his bag of his beliefs. Then he comes to Moses and reveals something different to Moses. Then he goes to Samuel and then to David. Each one, is there's, there's false, faulty concepts of God being taken out and better concepts replaced. God knew what he was doing all the way through until we finally get to Jesus and the whole bag of faulty beliefs gets dumped and only the good stays with Jesus. He says, this is the time. My dad's good, period, done. And the early church was at the beginning of that unpacking now. How many faulty concepts do we have in our bags, in our minds, that need to be unlearned, while they may be uncomfortable? Let me suggest this for some peace of mind, because I know we can get really nervous, at least I sure did, and am on certain topics we thought we knew the answer on in Scripture. The Bible clearly says, or the Bible plainly says, "Mm, maybe not. Maybe just plainly looks like it to you until you start to dig back and realize certain translations have messed it up. Let me give you a sneak peek. The word hell is not in the Bible. Oh, in English, yes, or English, right? English Bible has that word occasionally. But none of the original languages have the word hell. They have Gehenna, Hades, and the other words that they use for that have been translated into hell. We've been sold on this rotisserie channel picture of hell. I think we need to restudy, relook. God is a consuming fire, but he's going to pour his fire, love, on you, in you, through you, and burn away all that stuff that was never true. He's going to win you from the inside out with love fire. Okay? These are concepts that need to be unlearned. For those really hard texts, let's do some investigating. Let's hold a hand open. So here's my suggestion when you are confronted with a topic that is uncomfortable or, hey, I thought that was pretty locked in, you know? You know, I can just listen to what the church teaches me. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, no, no. You trust the Holy Spirit. I've told you here many times don't trust me. If you hear something that hits your heart that's amazing, that God, is this true? Really? Then ask the Holy Spirit to confirm it. I'm still learning too. But what if there's a, uh, this happened with this hell topic? What if there's another perspective we were not made aware of? There's a legitimacy to it. Here's an example. Most of the early church fathers were universalists. They were. They believed everybody was going to make it. Most of them did. That was the common belief back then. Well, universalism, that's a swear word in the church today. Yep. Wouldn't you wish that? Wouldn't it be cool? That sounds like my daddy. Hmm. Anyway, so the topic came up, and I realized there are some interpretations, there are some perspectives I was not made aware of because of my conditioning by my denomination or culture, and then I found out, oh my goodness, now again, I was scared, and I've not fully arrived on everything on this, I'm just saying, there's legitimacy to, uh, that lends itself to, let's study this, there's a more hope-filled perspective we need, I want good news. Therefore, when we come through other topics in the scriptures and you find out there may be another way to see it, don't put your stopper up like good church folk do. Well, I call it churchianity. Don't put your blocker up and say, no, we got our doctrines written in stone. No. If there is a potential option, especially those who love Jesus dearly and have studied this rigorously and have come to alternative Understandings. We may have to just live with people that are in, in, in not seeing it, and those who do see it. Be kind to each other either way. There's a way to grow and to see these scriptures. Be teachable, not gullible. Question everything. You see, we've been given so many answers, we've never questioned the answers, and now we're questioning many of them. It can get really uncomfortable, but to find out there may there are responses. There are studies, there, there's research, there's, there's history. In fact, what's going to be scary to most of you, if you don't know this yet, the early church fathers did not see half the doctrines we have today in the same way. The Orthodox Church, they've not changed their stuff and they've not seen any of this. And by the way, uh, there is no concept of a lake of fire or burning hell in the Hebrew Bible at all. It was not part of their culture. It, it didn't exist, just, just so you know. So there's a bit of my what-the-hell sermon. <laughs> Elizabeth's saying, when are you, you going to preach what-the-hell? Because that's what I was going to call my hell series. <laughs> and I will, I will. <laughs> there, I said it. But it's, it, when I get to that one, which now I have to, um, I want to share with you multiple perspectives so you can come to a healthier, better conclusion of what the early church saw, what the scriptures say, what it doesn't say. That's why I like this series. They didn't have all that baggage. So let's see how they and why they got excited. Why were they awakened to good news? It's powerful. All right. Oh, really? Only slide two. Okay. All the believers were in fellowship. That does not mean dinner. Okay, when you say we're going to have some fellowship, it usually means food. I usually say at funerals now, so please stay for a time of fellowship, which is just a fancy word for food. (laughs) That's if you're church, to get it. Anyway, they were all in fellowship as one body. They shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets. Some translations say they sold everything they had. That's not what it says. Because now you're going to think, oh, no, then I'm not a good Christian if I don't sell everything. I kind of like my house. You know, my kids need a place to s- sleep and eat, and I got to drive to work. Like, that's not what was implied here. Some people had wealth way too much. They had multiple things, the chattel and extra homes, and they sold them to help those who had needs. They didn't sell everything. Just so you don't get off the wrong way, because in our Canadian culture, we kind of go the passive way. And, well, then we have to just cave. <laughs> no, 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 this is... Only as the Holy Spirit tells you, that's the only reason you do the stuff that you do. It's implying their heart motive to be generous in response to the good news, to distribute the proceeds to those who are in need among them. Do you have above and beyond wealth? Uh, That's a great question. God has prospered you. Great. Don't forget to be generous because God has created you to be generous. Every single one of us because we are one with the Father. One with the Son, one with the Spirit. We have one nature, the nature of Christ. And that nature is generous. It's powerful. Daily they met together in the temple courts. I don't think we can do that. It wouldn't work really well. We're too conditioned. (laughs) But they did. And they met in other people's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts. Tender humility. Like that, tender humility. I don't think there was any jockeying for who's more right. Well, I heard this doctrine. Well, I think that one's wrong. I think this one. That's not what it was. It was about union, common union, common faith. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And I love this. The Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Some translations say being saved. The word saved literally means sozo, healed. Healing of the mind, healing of the blindness, healing of the faulty thoughts. Yeah, it's really cool. But I love this, the Lord did it. I grew up in churchianity. I went to Bible college, many of them. And in that time, I had to go to conferences, church growth conferences. And pastors are trained and grilled and Push through meat grinder of everything's the same, of grow your church and how to do it. Right plan, right wow pizzazz, the lighting, the right music, no out-of-tune singers. Like they just go all the way out to win people in and and coax them in. And unfortunately, they're selling a lie. They're selling something that isn't real. I can't sing in tune all the time. My house isn't always clean. You know, uh, my car isn't perfect. Like, we sell this perfect picture of church, and it's done through our works, through boards, committees, evangelism, uh, things going on. And yet, this is the key. Jesus did it. Jesus does the growing. You know how many times I've had to remind myself here at Hope Fellowship, whose church is this? It's not mine. If it grows, it's his. If it dies, it's his. You take the blame. You're like, that, that, that's, honestly, do you know the pressure that's off now? I don't have to try and get people. I'm here to encourage, build up, equip you. Grow your faith in what I'm learning and you're learning together. You guys teach me too. Like, this is, this is fantastic. But those systems, and I hope none of my denominational leaders are listening, but i can get in trouble for this. But the point is, those systems are man-made. Can they work? Depends what your goal is. I want Jesus to be my purpose. If you're going to live a purpose-driven life, let Jesus be the purpose. Those other things they call the purposes of the church, the worship, prayer, serving, evangelism, all the the five purposes, those are the natural overflows of the abiding believer. They're not the to-do list. When we make it a to-do list, it becomes rules. And everyone wants to repel from rules. So, make Jesus your purpose. My friend Bill Thrasher uh, wrote a book called The Jesus Purpose. (laughs) I think I have some still. But uh, yeah, he got it right. Let's get it right. Let's catch the heartbeat of who Jesus is and what he came to do and look at what brought the early church together and kept them together. All right, that's it. Yep, chapter three next week. Never got to that. let's, Let's wrap up. Man, Father, there's so much good news here. Will you wake us up? For those of us who may have an Adam blindness thinking that you're mad at us or we have to tiptoe around you, would you fix that? Would you pour your love and acceptance on each one? Will you remind us you love us deeply and passionately? Will you remind us you already accept us because you have made us like you? And will you please remind us you actually like us? Some of us can't even stand ourselves. So, Father, change our mind. Open our eyes to see. Where we are blind, give us sight. You came to bring us life. Help the blind to see and the lost to be found. But in order to be lost, you have to have an owner. (laughs) thank you that we are yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.